You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Uh, today we're starting a series called Worth Fighting For, Worth Fighting For, and I'm excited about this uh, series. We're going to start in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, I, was, I was thinking it's ironic. Nehemiah is about building walls, and, and we're literally tearing down some walls in this room, uh, but that's okay. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2, we're going to start uh, by looking at this. Nehemiah's name means Yahweh comforts, and uh, Nehemiah's job and responsibility at this time is just to give you a snapshot of, of the context is that uh, Israel has been away in captivity. Most of uh, God's people have been taken away from their homeland, from the land of Canaan, from Israel, and taken to Babylon. And the reason for that was the decline, the spiritual decline of, and condition of the nation as they turned away from God. And uh, they were brought into captivity into Babylon and later Persia. Uh, but, but all through that captivity, God had a redemptive promise and a redemptive plan that he would bring them back to their promised land. And so God reminded of them of that and uh, the book proceeding or right before Nehemiah is Ezra and uh, this sets the scene 20 years prior where Ezra along with the group began to lead God's people back to their homeland and uh, they come back to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the house of God that had been in uh, destruction and disrepair but uh, in 20 years time some things had 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 been slowed to a crawl and and things were not going according to plan and Nehemiah's job uh, is he's the cupbearer for the king of Persia. He's the cupbearer for the most powerful man in the world. Now let's read Nehemiah chapter one uh, and two. Here's what it says. Nehemiah one, verses two and, uh, through four, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and especially concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and in reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah, living far away from his homeland, is eager for news. He's eager to hear the state and the condition of his people that have gone to resettle and rebuild and, and have really ultimately revival as people would return back to God. But here's what he hears instead, that God's people are in great reproach and the city, the city of God is now in disrepair and the walls that protected that great city were fallen down. And so rather than have revival and rather than rebuilding, they're, they're kind of on hold, they're on, on pause because everything is not gone according to plan. Verse three, they, they, the survivors that were left there were in great distress and repro- reproach. So it was when I heard these words, Nehemiah says that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now jump ahead to chapter two. It says, it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes that when wine was before him that I took wine and gave it to the king. So, so he's the cup bearer and his job uh, is not only to present the king with the cup, but also to, he's the taste tester in case somebody's got it in for the king. Uh, you know, it's a good job until you, somebody's after the king. And so you're going, to be, you're going to drink the poison first. And so Nehemiah, though, what's amazing about this is Nehemiah's probably got the best job possible for a Jew in captivity. He's got the best job possible because he's dwelling in the court of the most powerful man in the world. He's in the court of the king. 
And yet, even though he has every opportunity and largely by earthly standards, he, he's, he's probably successful and he's in position among, among the powerful and in position and he's favored and he's blessed and all those things, yet the condition of his heart is sorrowful and he's carrying a burden because of God's people. And it says that now the king... Uh, that when he went into the king's presence, he said, I've never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing other than sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid because, you know, if you didn't show up to the king's house with a smile on your face, you didn't just lose your job. Um, and so he says, I was dreadfully afraid, but he said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. The king said to him, uh, what do you request? So I prayed, once again, I prayed to the God of heaven. Uh, I've got a few simple points for you today. Number one is find something worth fighting and I'll add living for. Find something worth fighting for. Nehemiah is comfortable. Nehemiah has a great opportunity, even though he's a captive, he's placed in the court and the, the, the court of the king of, of the most powerful nation, and yet he's not staying in a place of being comfortable. In fact, he recognizes there's something that has to be done. He looks at the problem of his city, the hurt of his people, and he's moved with compassion. He refuses to stay passive towards the state of the city of Jerusalem. And his first response is to pray. He begins to pray and weep and mourn and he's gripped by something that's bigger than him and I believe as the church we're called to be gripped by something bigger than our own lives we're called to live for something that's greater than what we've experienced on our own we're created for eternity we're created for a God-breathed purpose the Bible says that God has prepared before we were even created God prepared works that we should walk in so God has given you a purpose. He's, every person alive has a God-written story, a God plan that, that many people live ignorant of their entire lives because it's only found in a relationship with Jesus. But even then, we settle somewhere along the way with what religion has offered and don't realize you were created for a purpose. You were created for freedom. You were created to see your family experience the hand of God. You were created to, to be filled with his peace and filled with his joy and live for a purpose. Live for a purpose that matters in eternity. I said this last week that what, what about what we live for today is gonna end up in heaven? Because there's only one thing, if we're honest, that ends up in heaven and his people. And so if we, what we live for doesn't affect eternity, then I want to challenge us to live for something even greater. Because eternity is forever, and what we do in this life matters for that. We need to find something worth fighting for. See, there's some things that will keep you up at night that drive you to prayer, and there's some things that stir you and get you up in the morning that gets you excited for the purpose of God. And I believe, believe that many times we discover our purpose by one of those and sometimes both of those things. For Nehemiah, it's the latter. Or the, he's, he's, he's got a burden. He's got a burden that moves him to pray. In fact, that's his response when the king calls on him and that's his response here. He's moved with a God dream. The Bible says this, Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, people perish. Nehemiah hears of the condition of his people. He sees the low condition and he's not willing to settle there. He's not willing to say, oh, that's bad for them. How sad for them. No, he does something. He begins to pray. He gets God's dream. 
And I believe that, being, that, that living with vision is more than just getting good ideas about my future, but it's actually discovering the God dream for my life. It's discovering what God has planned and purposed. David shows up to a battlefield and, he, and there's Goliath on one side and he's mocking the Israelites and, and all of Israel's sitting in hiding because of fear. David shows up and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You know the story. He says, who is this Goliath that's challenging and mocking and cursing God and cursing the armies of Israel? And, and, and David's brother is cautious and he's insecure. And so he comes up to David and says, you gotta be quiet, David. You don't belong here. And David's response is, is there not a cause? That word cause in Hebrew literally means a word, a command. It, it means something that is spoken. And so it's more than just a cause, like I, I, I'm living for a cause to you know, raise money or you know, take care of this need. Or, and it, no, no, there's something that actually is worth responding to and it's a word from God. Because some causes don't impact eternity. Some causes can make me feel warm and fuzzy, but they don't make an eternal lasting impact in the lives of people. And God has called all of us together as the church to not just sit back and go, oh, that's so sad what's happening in those lives around us. My, my pastor years ago used to say, we need to find a need and fill a need. Our church, was, it was a great big church in Phoenix, and they had over 200 ministries that almost all of them started out of somebody being moved with a burden from God. Somebody moved with a, a, a dream from God to say, I'm not going to sit back while my city goes to hell. I'm not going to sit back while people live in brokenness and addiction and pain and suffering and marriages are destroyed and people are falling to pieces and missing the purpose of God. No, no. All of those, as God put something in their heart, they said, I'm going to live for something more than me. Find something worth fighting for. Find something worth living for. A God dream ultimately isn't even about you and me. But it's also something that's actually impossible to accomplish on our own. It's something that requires God's help. And that's why the next one, number two, is we need to take it to God. What he sees, in fact, what I love about Nehemiah is he doesn't just hear the news, he prays about it. He doesn't just hear about the sad state of the, of, of the nation and of his people. He actually is moved to pray. And prayer is powerful. Prayer isn't just sending good feelings and vibes, church. You know, thoughts and hashtag good vibes. No, no, but you can pray heaven down. You, you, you can pray God's purpose and will. In fact, that's what he told us to do. In Luke 11, he said, this is how you should pray. Our Father who's in heaven, that's a relationship. Holy is your name, that's worship. And then he says, here's what you pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is two things. It's personal and it's transformational. When it's transformational, it means what does it look like when God's will is done in my life and family, in the city around me, in our community, on earth as it is in heaven? But if it's gonna be transformational, it has to first be personal. And we need to take everything to God. Look at Nehemiah's response. When he sees and hears the news of the people, he does what? He prays, he fasts and prays. Then when the king asks him, what is your deal, dude? You look sad. You've never been sad before. What's going on? What does Nehemiah do? Well, first he's like dreadfully afraid because <laughs> this conversation is going to affect his future. 
But then he does this. He says, I prayed to the Lord of heaven. Now, no, he didn't leave the court of the king and go have a 21-day fast at that moment. But he did, in his heart, he did turn to God right there. Because as the church, our last response isn't prayer, it's our first response. It's not the last resort, it's not the thing we go to after we've tried everything else. If we really believe in a God who answers prayer, a God who says, nothing's impossible for me, then prayer is our first response. I want to challenge you. Let God's, God's word be your foundation and let prayer be your first response as you go to God with whatever the need is. Because when we go to God, here's what the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. And the peace of God, the result of that, as I don't worry about everything, but I pray about everything, making prayer and supplication to God. Here's what it says, and the peace of God. The peace of God. I I unload my care, my worry, the burden, the problems, I give it to God. See, some of us are trying to go to people, but, but we need to go to God. We need to take it to the right source. And, and the result is we unload that, we onboard peace. We unload the worry and prayer causes us to receive. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart and mind. So, so that's the result. As I go to God, I wonder how many things we're overcome and worry about that we haven't first prayed about. Take it to God. Do you know what it also does when we, when we pray something like this? God, let your will be done. We're inviting God to tell us no or give us yes. You know what I found? There's some things that I got into messes over the years, got into situations and in, even into uh, relationships and connections and people and opportunities, all these things that I didn't first pray about and then wonder why it was turmoil later. If we pray about first, we're saying, God, I'm inviting you into this situation. God, let your will be done. Because, you know, God actually sees what I don't see. God knows what I don't know. And we take it to God first. We take it to him. Uh, Number three is find the right people. Here's my disclaimer before I get into this. Do you know, as a believer in Jesus, this shocked some people first service. I don't know why. As a believer in Jesus, you're supposed to love everybody. Apparently it shocks some of you. Okay. You're supposed to love everybody. We're called to love people. We love God. We love people. We, 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 we're supposed to know him and then make him known. We can't make him known to people. We can't preach to the world that we haven't first loved like Jesus. It's quiet all of a sudden, Jenna. But you know what I love about this is while we're called to love everybody and reach everybody, you're not called to be yoked to everybody. What do I mean by that? that that's, a, that's a Bible word. It's, it's actually an agricultural word as they would take two oxen together in, in, in Bible times and agricultural times with, with, with the way they operated before machinery and equipment. They would take two oxen to pull the plow and they would yoke them together, join them together. And, and, and Jesus used that metaphor to say, be careful what you're yoked to. And he actually invited us. He said, if you're burdened, you're heavy laden, you're weary, you're tired, you're exhausted, come to me and take my yoke on you. In other words, what we need to be joined to is Jesus and his plan. And the result of that is the yoke is easy and the burden is light. And so I'm to be joined to Jesus. 
And, and, and I love this, as Nehemiah is before the king, God has positioned him in the right place with the right person at the right time. So often we're, we're preoccupied. We, we may see the God dream, but we think, well, I, I, I don't have anybody with me. I don't have anybody in my corner. And we feel like we're alone. But God knows how to put you in the right place with the right people at the right time. Stop worrying about what you don't have and who you don't have and realize that, that, that maybe you don't want to be with the wrong people in the wrong situation. And sometimes we're sharing the God dream to the wrong place. We're going to the wrong people. And we're wondering why we're not seeing what we're hoping to see, but instead, see, see the wrong people will curse you behind your back, but the right people will bless you behind your back. The wrong people will pull you from God's purpose. The right people will push you towards it. I need people around me and in my life that are gonna push me, that are gonna challenge me to grow. They're gonna challenge me to, to, to be better in what God has created me and called me to be. And so we need that, the right person, the right people. The wrong people will tell you things will never change. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, this is just the way things are. This is how it is. This is how our family is. Your dad had a temper. That's why you got a temper. It's just, you know, just our story. And we, we, we settle because we're looking at wrong information and we're listening to the wrong voices. And maybe sometimes we're even trying to find fulfillment in the wrong place. It's like the old country song said, looking for love in all the wrong places. The wrong people tell you things will never change. They'll even tell you, and this is, this is fun always here, uh, be careful, but they're not concerned about you. They're concerned about themselves. Because if, uh, let me give you an example. So David shows up to this battlefield. His brother tears him down instead of building him up. He says, what are you doing here, David? You're just a kid. See, people who've settled and let their dream die will always attack people who refuse to. My, my wife this is, I've shared this so many times, but I love this. She's, she's on fire for Jesus. She's a new believer. She's going to church. She's involved. She's serving. She's going out. And we have buses at our church who would pick up uh, people every week and bring them to church. She's out there serving. She's doing all of this. And then she meets this lady who is nice and religious. And, and she said, oh, honey, it's so nice that you're on fire for Jesus. But let me tell you, it won't always be like that. I can't say what I want to say because it's recorded. <laughs> but there's sometimes we've got to recognize that the biggest threat to the thing that God has put in your heart may be looking in the wrong source and with the wrong people. Nehemiah, in chapter 2, verse 12, he goes, and this is after he talks to the king. I'll, I'll read the rest of that in a second. But, but he, he goes, and he goes to the city of Jerusalem, and it says, I rose in the night, and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. He said, now, now eventually he will have to because he's going to lead Israel to rebuild the walls and rebuild and, and secure the city. And that's what they're called to do. But before the right time, he's careful what he shares about what's in his heart. And we, we've got to be careful because sometimes we're looking to the wrong people. And like Joseph, Joseph tells his brothers, I've got a dream, guys, and it involves all of you. And the Bible says when he told his brothers, those relationally closest to him, 
Rather than celebrate what God had given Joseph, they attack him. And they actually, it says they hated him all the more. The more he talked about it, the more they hated him. The more he dreamed, the more they hated him. The more he lived for purpose, the more they hated him. Don't let what people's response is keep you from what God's called you and created you to do. But here's what's important. So many times we're thinking, even as I say this, find the right people. We're like, I don't have anybody. Can I just tell you the key is actually being the right person? Be the right person for somebody else. Instead of cursing people behind their back, you're blessing them behind their back. It's quiet again, Jenna. That that, that instead of pulling people away from the purpose of God, that we push them towards it, that we encourage others, that we lift them up, that we celebrate their successes, that we celebrate their answers to prayer, that that we can recognize what God has placed in their life and, and be all about it, even if it doesn't involve us and we're not at the center of attention. I just think there's something about as the church, God has put us together as the body and each part needs what the other part has. Uh, One of my pastors who taught me how to pray years ago uh, went to Seoul, Korea, to the largest church in the world. It has a million members in it. And it's a praying church. And and, and I love this. He, He goes there and he says, you know, the thing that stood out to me, you know, they had early morning prayer. They had late evening prayer. Their youth group prayed literally every Friday night all through the night. Their youth group. And so they were seeing a move of God in their, in their city and in their nation. And so, but he talked about that, but he said, the other thing that stood out to me was as I would, people would ask me, or I tell somebody a prayer request, like I have this need, would you pray for me? He said, people were like, like it, it demonstratively, uh, is that the word? It, they were demonstrably, that's probably not it either. Okay. I need some grammar teachers in the room. It, they were visibly expressing gratitude. And they would say, thank you so much. And usually you say thank you after somebody's prayed for you. But they were thankful to have the prayer request so they could go to God on your behalf. And they were celebrating because they discovered something along the way that the more I pray for others, the more God's answering my own prayers. The more I don't just focus on me and mine, but actually begin to pray heaven's purpose for somebody else. Oh God, what if the church would become a people that would lift others up and celebrate what God's doing in their lives and we'd behind, be behind each other and we'd be fighting for each other and we'd be like Jonathan's armor bearer. He's one of my favorite guys in the Bible. Like they don't even give his name. But you know what faithfulness looked like in his life? Jonathan says, hey, there's a hill and there's some enemies on it. I'm gonna go up and charge them. And, 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 and I'm gonna run up this hill at a strategic disadvantage because he watched Star Wars and you don't want to give up the high ground. That's a joke. Anyway, see who my, okay. Yeah, I know who my people are. Okay. So, so, but no, he says, I'm going to go up and I'm going to take the hill. And Jonathan's armor bearer goes, yep, yep. Okay. I'm with you. Whatever's in your heart, let's go. Like we got to be people like that, that we can find out what God's put in somebody's heart and go, let's go, let's go after it. I'll pray with you. I'll fight with you. I'll stand with you. I'll fight until your family's free. I'll fight until your marriage is whole. I'll fight until God answers and moves in our city. Let's find the right people and let's be the right people. Number four is we need to take action. (laughs) Take action. Uh, Let's look at Matthew 14. Matthew 14 says in verse 14 that when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion. 
I know you know this, but sympathy and compassion are actually not the same thing. Sympathy is a feeling. It's, it's, I feel bad for this person. I feel bad for hurting people. I feel bad for this need. And we live in a world that's got a lot of need because sin destroys lives. That's, that's what happens in the world. It destroys people's lives. And it's easy to see brokenness and see a need and go and just move on because we're saturated with it all the time. But, but what, if, what if we did what Jesus did? He was moved with compassion. Compassion leads to action. Compassion does something about it. Compassion caused Nehemiah to leave the comfort of the court of the king. To do what was uncomfortable. I mean, he could have spent the rest of his life, he could have phoned it in, he could have said, well, somebody else will do it. But he took action. He prayed and the king said, hey, uh, I'll give you everything you need. Everything you need. And, and, and Nehemiah goes and rather than just staying in his comfort, and remember, his name means Yahweh shall comfort. And we think that God gives us the comfort of the Holy Spirit to make us comfortable. Can I just help somebody with their theology for a moment? He gave you and I the comforter because we were going to need it. Because he was going to call us out of our comfort zone. We have, we have made comfort a God in our culture. God says, do this. And we go, that's uncomfortable. Okay. I could go down that road for a minute, but God calls us out of sometimes our own shame that we think disqualifies us. He calls us out of our fear that we think things are impossible. He calls us out of those places and causes us to recognize what if you and I responded? What if we, what if we were moved here? Jesus is moved with compassion. There was action involved. He healed their sick, but that wasn't the only thing. And when evening came, his disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, you're preaching too long. It's, it's true. Uh, th- this is a deserted place and the hour's late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy for themselves food. And Jesus said to them, they don't need to go anywhere. <laughs> you give them something to eat. And, and I think one of the disciples is like, well, let me try to convince Jesus with this. Um, all we have, Jesus is a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. That's all we have. See, we really need to send them to, they need to go down to the grocery store. (laughs) They got to go to the villages and buy some food. We don't have what they need. Do you ever feel like that? Like you look at the world and feel powerless to do anything about what's happening? To look at, I mean, let's just make it personal. Feel powerless to see your family follow God, see your kids saved, see, see things, your marriage made whole. You feel powerless and he, Jesus turns to them and he says, you give them something to eat. Well, all I have, Jesus, <laughs> it's not much. But you know what he says? That's perfect. Bring it here to me. They bring in the loaves and the fish. You know the story. He takes it, he blesses it, and he breaks it. And then he gives it to his disciples. And the disciples carry it to the crowd and 5,000 men, not including women and children, get fed. Thousands of people, a need that is way beyond what they have the capability for on their own. And how do you know it's a God dream? Well, maybe it's just a little bit impossible for you on your own. Maybe you, it's just outside of your ability to see happen. You tried it your way. 
and you felt like you didn't have enough, but what the difference was for them is they brought what they had to Jesus. And in the hands of Jesus, it was more than enough. And your life and mine, my parenting, my, my, what, what God has given me is more than enough when it's given to Jesus. My, that, 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 that in all of our lives, there's something God's placed in your life that you feel incapable of accomplishing, give it to Jesus. And he multiplies. He doesn't start with what we don't have. He starts with what we do. That's why obedience is so important, church. Because obedience is our step, our response. Miracles happen when we do whatever he said to do. Miracles don't happen because I came up with a good idea and asked God to bless it. But I found, God, what are you after? What do you want to see happen in my life, in my family, in this city? And, and Nehemiah responded. He took action. Final point, number five, is don't fall for the noise. Don't fall for the noise. Nehemiah 6. So Nehemiah, he's got a God idea. He sees the need. And he's all about it. He's responding. He's going out there. And some of us think that the moment we say yes to God, everything else after that's going to be like a vacation. It's all going to be easy. Like if I just do step A, everything after step A is easy. But what we don't always realize is the moment we say yes to the fight God's called us to, there's still a fight. And the fight is against the very thing that has maintained the status quo. When you start taking a step to see God move in your family, you're going to see some things happen. Because the enemy is terrified of what your family will become. Terrified of what your marriage could become. Terrified of what your kids would become. He's terrified of the purpose of God being realized in the earth. And he will fight you every chance he gets. When Israel gets ready to rebuild every surrounding tribe and nation and city, they all begin to be stirred to oppose the rebuilding of this wall. And they send threats. And they send accusations. And let me just read the book. There's, there's just in Nehemiah, there's like a dozen different times where under almost constant harassment, the enemy's trying to undermine and sabotage Nehemiah from doing what he's called to do. And this is my favorite. This is my favorite one because it's my favorite, not because of what they're trying, but because of how Nehemiah responds. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, and they sent a letter, they sent a message. Do you know what's funny about Nehemiah? Can I just say this? There's a lot of threats but no actual fight, no actual battle. And most of the things we're worried about will never happen. Okay. He says, come let us meet together in the villages, in the plain of Ono, but they thought to do me harm. So they're not just sending a friendly greeting, like they, they want to hurt him. So I sent messengers to them. And I think some of us, we've been getting some messages of fear We've been getting some messages that, that are disqualifying. We've been getting some voices that tell us, don't do what God's called you to do. Don't pray. Don't be, do, and, and it, all these different voices, and it's the enemy trying to keep you from the purpose of God. And some of us need to write return to sender. Here, here's what Nehemiah's response is. I'm doing a great work. And I can't come down to you. Because anytime you come down to the enemy's level, it's always a decrease. Anytime you come down and fight the enemy on his terms, 
pray just in response to the problem instead of the promise first. Just react to what the enemy's doing. Just react to the, the, the sad state of the world around us. He says, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. I'm sorry, I'm busy. I'm too busy with the thing that I'm created to do. I'm too busy with the thing I'm called to do to settle for, for a petty argument. Can, can I help somebody? I'm too busy doing what I'm called to do to let unforgiveness get in the way. I'm I'm too busy doing what God has created me for to compromise today. You know what Esau does? Esau sells his inheritance to his brother for a bowl of soup. That's not living with vision, church. (laughs) He comes to his brother after a long day of hunting. He comes to his brother who's made just his favorite soup, soup of the day. And he says, I am starving. Give me that soup or I die. I mean, it's like, you know, I've got a 13-year-old in the house. I know what that's like. Everything's immediate. <laughs> I'm starving. You just ate like five minutes ago. I know, but I'm starving. Esau sells his birthright, his inheritance, his future for something temporary. He sells out his future for f- temporary satisfaction and fulfillment. And I wonder how many times we compromise our future for something temporary today. Because we're not living for that purpose that I'm talking about. And don't fall for the noise. He says, I can't come down to you. Jason, if you want to come down. Uh, don't, don't fall for the noise. He says, why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? I learned this years ago, that, that if I allow the problems to dictate my schedule, I'm always going to be spending my day putting on fires instead of investing in the thing I was meant to do. Somebody needs to hear that today. Like, like we're, you're reactionary, and it's just the enemy trying to keep you off your feet, keep you off the purpose of God, keep you off of the main thing. He'll get you caught up. And if he can't get you to compromise, he'll get you fighting a whole bunch of battles you were not called to. I had to say no to something just this week that was very important to me. But, but I had, if, I, if I have to say no to something, it means I can't, if, if I can't say no, some of us can't say no to people. And if we can't say no, we won't be able to say yes to the thing that matters. Do you know what matters? Your calling. Do you know what matters? Your family. Do you know what matters? Your freedom. Do you know what matters? Our city being impacted by Jesus. Do you know what matters? It's the thing that's going to affect eternity. And look at verse four. They sent me this message four times. Someone's like, I tried this, it didn't work. Yeah, the devil knows that. And so he'll keep throwing every lie and every accusation and every fear and every slander and every word to get you to quit. But I love this, Nehemiah 2.20, last verse. So I answered them. And he said, the God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. You have no heritage here. He's saying, enemy, you have no place, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise. We're going to rise and we're going to build. We're going to do what we're created to do. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Altar team, if you come down. Nehemiah took action. He prayed. He went to the right people. 
But I, I wonder, I wonder what God has called you to do. I, I like to ask this question. I think it's a good question. If failure wasn't an option, like it, it, failure wasn't in the equation, what would you do for God? If it wasn't about having enough resources or whatever, the right people, if you just said, if all of that's off the table, what would I do for God and to make a difference in the lives of people? It's a good question to ask. When you can answer that, I think you're pretty close to a purpose because God's created you for something. And it's not like to be anybody else in this room. But you know what I know is a lot of people have voices that lie to them every day. Sometimes their own self-talk, <laughs> their own chatter. It's telling them why they can't, and why it'll never happen, why things will never change. And we, what if, what if we instead listen to what God's word says and start praying with faith and believing for God's purpose? What if, I don't know, what if we prayed for all our kids to be close to God? What if, we, what if we prayed that every addiction in North Iowa was broken? Well, that, I, I just, I don't think that's possible. How could we pray that? Well, I just think God's in the business of healing, hurting people. I, I just think God's in the business of restoring lives. And I, I think there's some Nehemiahs in this room. There's some men and women that you've, God's placed something in your life and it's time to no longer allow the voices to tell you you can't and you'll never change anything. Some of us look at our own families, we go, this will never change. Oh, but, but if you would just get a hold of what God, God's dream is, <laughs> we, we, we could see North Iowa change, church. I'm telling you. My favorite thing to hear from people, honestly, in, in two years we've had the church here, seen something like 270 people come to Christ. And my favorite, absolute favorite thing is when people say, I never thought that person. I never thought that family member. Because I don't know, somewhere along the way, we get used to holes in the wall. We get used to gaps. We get used to the enemy harassing, destroying, and keeping back from God's purpose. But what if we had some Nehemiahs in the room? I ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Let me pray for two things before we go. Maybe right now what, what you need is for the gaps in your own life, the brokenness in your own life to be healed. Maybe you're far from God today. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Church is not for just the church crowd. Oh no. It's for all of us that are far from God to come close. Jesus didn't die for the religious. He died for all of us, for the sinners. He died on a cross, took our sin and shame, and he paid the price that we could be forgiven, set free. And everything I've described only makes sense with a yes to Jesus, with the relationship with God, not religion. Religion will just keep you from the purpose of God, but Jesus won't. Jesus saves us, redeems us, takes our broken places and 
and brings about his healing and freedom. And what could God do with your yes? Do you have a relationship with him today? If not, I wanna invite you to begin one right here, right now. I'm gonna lead you in a very simple prayer, a prayer of faith to begin a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We know and believe that he died for me and for you and that he rose from the grave, that the cross was for you. And we need to respond to that. Maybe you've been a Christian, but you've been far from God. And today you need a new beginning. Things are not like Nehemiah looked at the city and it wasn't where it was supposed to be. And if you're honest, things are not where they're supposed to be, but today can be a new beginning. If either of those are for you, I wanna lead you in this very simple prayer, right where you're at. Again, no one looking around, but this is, you just say, I need to respond to Jesus. That's me, Brian, would you pray with me? Would you just raise your hand? I'd like to lead you in a very simple prayer. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Would you just pray this with me? And I'm going to ask every Christian in this room, every believer in this room to pray this with those that raise their hands. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. Be Lord of my life. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. And I believe you rose from the grave. And today I follow you with all my heart. Jesus, I trust you. I follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If uh, you're in here and you've got a God dream that's just laid dormant, I believe today is the day of resurrection. If that's you, just lift your hands to God. Father, right now, I thank you in this room, there's Nehemiahs, there's men and women that you're awakening the purpose of God inside of them. And today we silence the noise and the voice of the enemy. And we say like Nehemiah, I'm not going to come down to your level. There's a cause, there's a word, there's a dream, there's a promise. God, I pray for everyone right now that knows it. God, I pray today that there'd be a reawakening of old dreams that have been laid down and that you would give them the grace today to hear from you and to take action, to take the next step. Maybe it's to pray about it. Maybe it's to obey in an area. But God, that they would take the next step. And I pray for everyone that says, honestly, I don't know what it is. That's okay too. You just keep coming to Jesus. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would begin to awaken in their heart the purpose of God. You, you came to give us a home in heaven, but a purpose in the earth. Let's be like Nehemiah. God, give us eyes to see what we've not seen before. Give us a heart for the hurting, a heart to fill needs, a heart to live for the purpose we were created for, something worth fighting for in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you have a need in here today, we don't want to leave before giving that opportunity. If you'd like somebody to pray with, come on down. Our our team will be here for a few more moments. We'd love to pray with you. Have an awesome rest of your Sunday. Thank you for being here. Don't forget next week, 9 o'clock, 1045. Love you guys. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. 
To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.